All right, well, we're starting our summer, and the kids, you might have noticed the youth group is outside on the grass, just kind of chilling out there, and, and they're going to have their Bible study, and uh, they got some really good discussion going on, questions from the kids about, about the Lord, about deity, and about the cross, and, and they're going to answer those questions throughout the summer, a little apologetics, kind of a light apologetics thing Pastor Daniel's doing, and, and they're able to uh, eat and hang out and make noise, and so it's kind of cool that they're having that fun out there. And uh, we're gearing up for uh, Vacation Bible School. That's going to happen uh, in July, This let's see, the 22nd through the 28th. So we won't have Wednesday night service that week, obviously, because the kids, they, they just commandeer this whole space. And they're going to make the stage look like a spy headquarters and the whole play. They, what they do, if you've never seen it, um, John, our children's pastor, writes the play and they do about a 15, 20-minute, uh, well, they do worship first, and then they do about a 15-minute drama that includes a puppet stage and live, you know, drama, the kids running around up here. And it's all this theme about a spy, and they have uh, this great play that's been written for them. And then each week it builds upon itself until finally, you know, the spy guy that trusts all his gadgets and all his things. Well, I can't give it away, but John's done a great job writing it, and... Uh, the kids will have a lot of fun, but they'll be in this room, this space for that week. That's not for another month, but I just wanted to let you know that's coming up and uh, the youth group outside. But it's great to be here on a midweek just to study the word and, and be refreshed. And this is a great chapter. That, uh, I, as I study through this Old Testament, there's so many wonderful uh, lessons for us as believers. And tonight is uh, no exception to that rule. The, the lesson that we learned tonight is a story that you are very familiar with, the bronze serpent. The serpent that's lifted up before the people, that's the chapter we're in here. But these first nine verses of this chapter, the children of Israel have just left. Remember, the king of Moab said, uh, or Edom, pardon me, said, no, you're not coming in here. That was last week. And so the children of Israel are on their way to the promised land. The, the, we're in the end of the book of Numbers, although we have many chapters left. They're finally in their third phase where they're marching on the way, and they're learning. They've learned a lot. They're going to learn a whole bunch tonight about how to walk in faith. But they were told by the king of Edom, no, you're not coming in here. So they they're, they're going to have to go a, a circumnavigate. I'll show you a map in a little bit and show you the, the uh, trek that they took. But uh, as they go into this next section of land, they're, they're attacked. They're going to be attacked tonight in this study. And uh, so tonight's kind of a first for the, the children of Israel. They get attacked, so they're in battle for the first time, and they have their first victory. That's a good thing. And then toward the end, they're going to sing a song that they haven't sang since they were brought across the Red Sea, and they sang Miriam's song. So they're going to sing a song. They're, the, the mood's changing tonight in this chapter. And uh, then they fail again, and they murmur and complain, and God lets loose vipers all around them that bite them, and some of them die. It's a, an amazing story, then the bronze serpent. So this is a great chapter tonight. Before we begin reading, let's ask God's blessing in a word of prayer. Father, thank you for the time in your word, and I pray that you would teach us uh, by your word, Lord. Help us, instruct us, give us wisdom, Lord, as we 
read now your word. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Verse 1 here, the king of Arad, the Canaanite, who dwelt in the south, heard that Israel was coming on the road to Ethrim. Then he fought against Israel and took some of them prisoners. So Israel made a vow to the Lord and said, Lord, if you'll indeed deliver this people into our hand, then I'll utterly destroy their cities. That's, that's a, uh, the, the people now are saying, Lord, uh, we're going to do what you want us to do, and, and, and we'll finally carry out your plan. We're going to do what you want. And the Lord listened, verse 3, to the voice of Israel and delivered up the Canaanites. And they utterly destroyed them and their cities. So the name of the place was called Horma, which means destruction, obviously. Then they journeyed from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea and to go around. They're going to circumnavigate the land of Edom because remember last week in that chapter, the king wouldn't give him passage and the soul of the people became discouraged on the way. Why? Because they have to go so long. They have to go way far away to get to their destination. And the people spoke against God and against Moses. Here they go again. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food, no water, and our soul loathes this worthless bread. Worthless bread? They're talking about the manna. Worthless bread. So the Lord sent fiery serpents, serpents among the people, and they bit the people, and many of the people of Israel died. Therefore, the people came to Moses, and they said, We've sinned. We know what we've done wrong, you know, for we've spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord, Moses. Be our mediator. Ask the Lord. Take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people. Verse 8. Then the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole. And it shall be that everyone who is bitten, when he looks at it, shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent. He put it on a pole, and so it was. If a serpent had bitten anyone, when he looked at the bronze serpent, he lived. Now, this is one of those stories in the Bible that I love, and I, I love stories. Uh, this is one of the greatest stories in the Bible. And it really helps us to understand Israel because we see them as a people that, like us, struggle with circumstances around us and walking by faith with the Lord. They struggle just like we do. They're learning, though. We've seen the 38 previous years. This is, we're getting close to, to getting to Canaan here. And they've, they've really struggled with that, but they're learning. They're learning to trust God. God. God's got one big lesson to teach them in this chapter. But they've had this victory now in Horma, and you'd think that they'd be grateful. You'd think they'd be just jumping up and down like, oh, look what God did for us. You know, the, we, we defeated. This is the first victory we've had. We're a bunch of slaves that came out of Egypt. And, and, and we defeated the enemy, and we're victorious. you think that they'd be all happy, but not these people. These people are so ungrateful. They're learning to trust in God. And because of that, God is going to take them and circumnavigate around Moab. They have to go all the way. Canaan is right here by the Mediterranean, and they're down by the Red Sea, and now they have to go all the way around 
to get there. Again, I'll show you that in a moment on the map, but, but they're learning to trust God. That's what God's teaching. That's why it took 40 years. Because of their unbelief, God's got to train them. So we come to this first verse, and we have this battle with this king, Arad, who's a Canaanite there. Now, these Canaanites lived in the southern desert near the Dead Sea. And I have a picture here, and I forgot my, my little pointer, so I'll just walk back here. So here's where Goshen is. This is where they, they started. They left Goshen. They came all the way down across the Sinai Peninsula. They crossed the Red Sea, and it was in Midian where Moses spent his 40 years in the desert. And it was in Midian that I believe that Mount Sinai is. You might see Mount Sinai here. Some believe it's here. I, because of the Bible says, I believe it was over here. They crossed the Red Sea, and they ended up here. And then they remember they went up to Kadesh Barnea, and they were just about to go into the land. There's the land. There's the border. They were just about to go in the land, but they sent spies in there, couldn't come. They, they came all the way back. They started wandering in circles out here. So they went back to Kadesh in the last couple of chapters. And now, if you see right above my finger, I'm only 6'5", but I can't reach that high. See, it says Arad right there. So now they're, they're up in this area, and all they have to do is kind of go from there to Canaan. They're almost there. But they're going to have to go all the way over here. This is Moab. They have to go all the way over here to Moab, and they're going to go around the Dead Sea to get to their location. So God's going to make them do that because of, of their disobedience uh, with him. He's training them. He's teaching you better, you better trust him because there's a consequence when you don't trust the Lord for these people. So these Canaanites, uh, we hear that name. You've heard that name. And throughout the Bible, over 150 times, you'll see the name of the Canaanites. They occupy that land that you can see on this map way up there, what's modern-day Israel, Jordan. That would be that area of Canaan. This is the land that God promised the children of Israel. And he's going to get them there. Remember, Abraham was there. He was there. And God got... Uh, brought Abraham there and then his sons. And you know the whole story as we read through the book of Exodus and how uh, God brought them uh, all the way down to uh, Egypt and then through the desert and around and around for 40 years. And now they're going to go into Canaan. Now they've, they've seen the people in Canaan. They've already seen them. But the Canaanites are, are really a, a large group of people. It's not just one people group. They fall under many different names, like the Edomites, right, and the Amorites, and the Hittites. You've heard of all these types. They're, they're all throughout the Bible. Those are all under the umbrella of the Canaanite people. They're, they're an extremely wicked people. They're, they're just, the, the stuff they do, the idolatry they took part in. Now, where did these people come from? If, again, you're a student of the Bible, you'll remember that it was Noah's grandson, Canaan, who was the son of Ham. And remember the sin of Ham. Ham went into his father's tent, Abraham, and exposed his nakedness, remember? And that was, you don't do that. And th th he knew that. He shouldn't do it, but he did it anyway. Like, whatever, dad's drunk, go in there with it. And he exposed his father's nakedness. And that shows you kind of his mindset and his son, Canaan. So they, they have this twisted mindset. 
And it's these people that now we see here called the Canaanites. Now, we know they're fierce people. Why? Remember the 12 spies went into the land. What was their report? Large people, giants. Remember the Nephilim and the, 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 the giant people there? They're large people. And not only that, but they had fortified cities. So we know this from just those texts of Scripture, that there are large people, that there are violent people, that these people that comprise of the, the Canaanites are fierce fighting people. That's what scared the 10 spies that gave the bad report and the two that said we can take them, right? So we know a little bit about these people and what they include, the fierce people. The 10 spies, as you recall, said they're so big, they're so fierce, they're so bad that whenever we get near them, we feel like an animal. Remember the insect they said they felt like? Remember? Grasshoppers. We're just grasshoppers. They're going to eat us for lunch like grasshoppers. And so that really helps us to understand who these people were, the Canaanites. And um, for these 40 years now, they're waiting to get into the Canaanite land. They want to get into Canaan. That's where they're going. But the Canaanites are just a real evil people. And God has judged them because of their evilness. Now, we don't take this lightly. And somebody reads the scripture and says, you know, I'm not going to go for your God because, look, he just kills people. You're taking something dramatically out of context that if you'll study geographically, historically, grammatically, and discover who these people were and find out archaeologically what they worshipped and what they did to children, to babies, they were barbaric in all of their actions, they would build their houses. And it's very well documented in the last hundred years through archaeologists. They built these houses, and in the walls of their houses, they put babies in urns and put them in their walls. Why? Why would they do that? Were they just, was it their child that died, you know, in labor, and then they put the, their child, you know, to, no. They actually did it because they believed that this baby would keep the evil spirits and gods away from their homes. So these people were sacrificing their babies. And there was the sacrifices of babies in the arms of Moloch and Ashtoreth and on and on. And these people, the Canaanites, when you study the history of them, they're a very um, just brutal people. And God got his message to them. So the second question would be, well, did they know about God? Well, yeah, they knew all about God, but they had corrupted themselves so bad that according to God, they had to be destroyed as a people. That's why you'll see throughout the scriptures here that, that God is going to use Israel to now judge the Canaanite people. Why? Because they were so idolatrous and so bad. But you know what? Throughout the Bible, God is gracious. God is long-suffering. God is not willing that any should perish, even these people. And throughout the prophets in the Old Testament, there was a message that went to the different nations. We're studying Jeremiah on Sunday night, and we're learning about that as we go through that book. We're learning that God had a message, and he had his prophets go out to these other nations to proclaim those things. And so these people had heard about that. How do we know? How do we know that the Canaanites, especially those that were in the southern part, Arad, King Arad, the one we're reading about tonight, and these other Canaanite people, how do we know that they really 
Well, it, in the southern portion of Israel, on the, the um, eastern boundary, and I've been there, there's a city called Jericho. Jericho is going to come up in our study. Jericho is one of these ancient, ancient Canaanite cities. And when later on, when spies go into Jericho, they're going to meet a prostitute named Rahab. You, you're familiar with that story. Now, notice in Joshua 2, and this is where we're going to go after Numbers. We're going to get to Joshua. Notice this verse here. I know that the Lord has given you the land. This is Rahab. That the terror of you has fallen on us, and that all the inhabitants of the land are faint-hearted because of you. How do they know that? Why is the whole nation afraid of Israel? Because they knew God had sent his prophets, and they know of the power of God. And as soon as we heard those things, our hearts melted. Neither, neither did there remain any more courage in anyone. Why? Because of you, children of Israel. For the Lord your God, he is the God of heaven above the earth and beneath. See, they knew that there was a God, and they knew that they would be held accountable. So you can't say that, well, gee, you know, God just a killjoy, and he just went in there and wiped out the Canaanites. No. God always displays his salvation and grace and love. God always does. Old, new. The God that we know is the same God in the Old and the New Testament. And he made sure that these godless people had heard about him. They were even shaking and fearful of him. So they knew about the true and living God. But they rejected him. They rejected God. That's the point. Paul said about these same people in Romans. Again, this is a lengthy verse. You can look it up in your Bible if you want to follow, but Romans 1. Although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were they thankful, but became futile in their thoughts. And their foolish hearts were darkened, professing to be wise, they became fools. And they changed the glory of the incorruptible God into idols, into images, made like corruptible man birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up to uncleanness and the lusts of their hearts to dishonor their bodies. You know exactly where they're going, right? What happened? These people were so godless. They were so vile and every brutal. They were vital, vile. They, they were horrible people. The lust of their heart to dishonor their bodies among themselves who exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worship the creature rather than creator. Now, I know you know those verses, especially this one in Romans, but it accurately depicts the Canaanites. They were not innocent victims. They were not ignorant of God and his judgment, but they've committed terrible sins, and they know that there's a God that will hold them responsible. That's why when the two spies meet a prostitute in Jericho. She says, are you here? We're, we're, we've been waiting for you. We're so afraid that when you come, you know, because God's, God's going to judge us because you know the true and living God. They knew it. Verse 2, real quick. So Israel made a vow to the Lord and said, if you will indeed deliver the people into my hand, then we'll utter, utterly destroy their cities. So God after their attack, this, this Ered, King Ered and the, some of the Canaanites came in, attacked and took some of the children of Israel captive. They went back and they said, and this is good, they're learning, right? We're going to make a vow. They're praying and they're saying, Lord, we're going to do what you told us to do. We're going to wipe out these people. That's what God wanted them to do. 
And God listened and delivered up the Canaanites, and they utterly destroyed them in their cities. So this was huge for these people. They go to God, and they get their first victory. But now they have to do the circumnavigation to go all the way around um, Edom, which is really that lower section, the area in the desert that was total wasteland uh, land right there. In verse 4, we see discouragement and sin. Again, then they journeyed from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom, and the soul of the people became very discouraged on the way. So there's no doubt that it was a challenge. There's no doubt that on their way there it was hard. There's no water. It's desolate. It's hot as they're moving through there, marching through there. But they have no excuse for not trusting in God. God has always provided for them, and he's been faithful to provide for them. So they get impatient. It's going to take longer than they expect. God isn't answering their prayer, and they're not trusting the Lord. Sound familiar? (laughs) Have you ever been in that place where you've prayed for something and God doesn't answer your prayer in your timetable. And so you get impatient. And instead of trusting and waiting on the Lord, you okay, Lord, well, I'm going to have to go borrow that money or I'm going to have to go do this thing or I got, I got to help you out, God. That's a bad plan. <laughs> to think that you can help God out in any way, that's, that's just not the way to go. These people were impatient. They became unfaithful. They became disbelieving. Really, one of the signs of spiritual maturity in your life is patience and endurance. If you have that in your life, if you can wait on the Lord, that's, that's a place that marks you as a growing, maturing believer. We, we never quite ever get there. There's no one person you can look at on the planet. You know, we, we sometimes put a, a radio pastor up on a pedestal or, or even our former pastor Chuck, whom we all love dearly. We put him up somewhere where he doesn't belong. When you look at somebody long enough, you'll find a fault. And yet, God calls us to these standards. He wants us to trust him. He wants us to endure. He wants us to be patient and wait on him. Here's a great verse in Isaiah behind me here on the screen. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not be faint. Waiting on the Lord is something that these people needed to learn. We need to learn as well. And so because these Israelites are so impatient, they start complaining. And it leads them into a sin, verse 5, the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food, no water, and our soul loathes manna. We're sick of it. I mean, hear what they're saying. They sound just like their fathers. These are the children. Remember the father. Their fathers have died in the wilderness. This is the younger generation that God said only these new ones are going to grow and go through this period of wilderness wanderings and finally make it in because of the older generation's unbelief. God wouldn't allow them to go in. So that, it's interesting. Here's their problem. They spoke against God. They accuse God of a lousy plan. God, your plan's lousy. I, I, I could come up with a better plan. Again, that's a dangerous place to be. They say no food, no water. 
God, your, your plan isn't going to provide for us. But God always had provided for them, didn't he? I mean, as we read through the text, manna, meat, shade, a nightlight, they had everything. God provided for them. God protected them. Now they're so discouraged. They have to go the long way. They have to stay in this, this cycle. They, they feel like they're going around in circles again. They got so close. They had a victory. And then they started complaining. And now God is going to do something new in their lives. Again, they doubt God's ability to provide for them in the wilderness. And it's their unbelief. So God has to do something drastic to train them. God is going to do that right here. He intervenes. Notice my next point here, God's judgment of serpents. So the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, and many of the people of Israel died. Now, we're not sure what this means, this fiery serpent. Either the color of the serpent was red and fiery, or the bite of the viper felt fiery. We're not really sure. But here's an interesting fact that I learned in my study. Remember the British uh, soldier, British soldier, Lawrence of Arabia. And he's been romanticized in movies, but he was a real guy. He was a, a British officer, and he fought and led battles in this part of the world and also in Israel back in the 1860s to 1910. Lawrence of Arabia was in this area. Here's what he wrote about this very area. This is a place of hopelessness, and there is something sinister, something actively evil in this snake-devoted land. This was written in 1890 or something like that. My men have encountered hooked vipers and cobras and black snakes in such great numbers that the men feared to walk in the night. Very interesting, isn't it? A result of God's judgment here in Numbers 21, the people are getting snake bit because of their disbelief and their whining and complaining. And many of them died. And so this whole episode leads to repentance, obviously. Their kids are dying. I mean, the kids are going to be closest to the ground. Their kids are being bitten and they're dying. Therefore, the people, verse 7, came to Moses and said, We've sinned, for we've spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people. So God uses a trial and death in this case to move these people to repentance and into prayer. And they recognize their need and they recognize what they've done. They've sinned against God. And they ask Moses, who has been for the past 40 years their mediator. Moses is the man between them and God. And they go to Moses and they say, go, go ask God, go, plead for mercy. We're dying out here. And they were. They were being bitten and they were dying. And the Lord said to Moses, verse 8, make a fiery serpent, set it on a pole, and it shall be that everyone who is bitten, when he looks, shall live. So we come to this bronze serpent, verse 9. Moses made the bronze serpent and put it on a pole. And so it was, if the serpent had bitten anyone, when he looked at the bronze serpent, he lived. I've got a picture here just as an illustration. That wasn't taken with your iPhone. That's just an illustration there. But I, I kind of like it. It's a bronze. They took a 
Moses made a bronze image, this symbol is what he made, and put it on a pole so that people could look up and live. That was the point. Now, you as well as I know that God has ordered these people in Exodus chapter 20, thou shalt have no what? Idols. No idols. This isn't an idol. This is a symbol. Well, who asked really, you know, how do you define? Because it's, it's not an idol. It's something they were to look at. It actually pre-pictures someone very important. But here is this image here, not an idol, this bronze snake. And the bronze snake that they were looking at was to remind them of something. Why did the snake bite them? Because of their sin. They had to look at their sin. They had to look up to their sin and confess it. That's what they're doing. They're confessing that the, the snake was brought upon them and death as a result of the snake bite because of their disobedience and their sin against God. It was their sin. It wasn't the snake. It's a symbol of their sin, and it brought God's judgment. Their sin brought God's judgment. And now the people have to look up. And they have to look up by faith, believing that seeing their sin there on that piece of wood would save them. There's some beautiful things going on here in this whole illustration. God was teaching his people, number one, about faith. You're not healed by going to a doctor. You're not healed by going to get a shot. You're not healed by doing something or saying something or pranks, anything. You're healed by looking up to that, seeing your sin on that pole, and by faith, you're then healed and forgiven. When anyone got bit, all they had to do was find the pole. Where's the pole? I just got bit. Where's the pole? <laughs> if your child got bit, you grab your child and you hold them up above the crowd, you know, so you could see the pole because it was seeing the sin, the serpent that represents that on the pole that would give someone life. It was an act of faith. It was God's plan for anyone to be healed. So these snake-bitten people were saved not by doing anything, not by works, but only by faith. As they looked up and saw their sin, they just had to look up at that thing of brass, that symbol, look and live. I love that, uh, Dr. J. Vernon McGee, that's the name of one of his sermons, look and live. I love it. That guy can preach too. If you've never uh, listened to him preach, fantastic preacher. I, I love to listen to his podcast and just going through the Bible. I do it every Wednesday. I listen to Dr. McGee, and, uh, but his fiery preaching, look and live. There's nothing unusual about this act of faith. God has always used this. God's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And that's one of the things I love about the Old and New Testament, how they, they're seamless. Same God. Isaiah 45, notice this verse. Look to me, God says, and be saved, all you ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. God calls us to look to him. And here's the most amazing picture here, or truth here. And it's Jesus. In John chapter 3, you remember, Nicodemus, a very religious man, comes to Jesus at nighttime. And he says, teacher, 
you're not like anybody else. You, you, you come from God because nobody does what you do. You know, obviously, he heals the lame, he causes the blind to see, he raises the dead. Nobody does what you do. And Jesus doesn't even talk to him about that. He says, Nicodemus, you must be born again. Remember the whole dialogue there. Fascinating. And it's Jesus talking to Nicodemus that we see one of the most famous verses of Scripture that I'll bet everyone in this room has memorized. In verse 14 of John 3, Jesus says to Nicodemus these words, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believes may in him have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave. I, I love this beautiful picture in the Old Testament book of Numbers, obscure in this deserted land where an unfaithful people challenge God and God allows them to be bitten and then look at their sin. Because when you think about that snake, that represented sin on the cross. And when you know that Jesus went to the cross and he took someone's place. Remember, there was a guy, a murderer that was supposed to be on that cross. Who was it? Barabbas. But Barabbas wasn't on that cross. And Jesus, the sinless man, was. And that talks about substitution. The substitutionary work that Jesus did on our behalf. He, as a sinless man, went to the cross for us, the sinner. And he hung on that cross. These people in Numbers 21 had to look up. They had to look up and see their sin on the cross. Just as Jesus was on the cross with your sin. Why are you saved? Because Jesus went to the cross with your sin. And he died there with it, paying the penalty of your sin. Hallelujah, thank God, I, I can, I, I'm saved tonight. I'm forgiven tonight. Why? Because of the act that Jesus did. These people are getting a little glimpse, teeny little picture of what was coming when Jesus would come and die for the sins of the world. But they had to look and see their own sin. The serpent isn't an idol. The serpent is a symbol of their sin. And when they looked at it after they were bitten, they were saved. Look and live. I believe that message goes out even today, that we're to look and live, look to Jesus and live. Jesus, Paul says, was made sin for us. 2 Corinthians 5, notice this verse, for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God, the cross. It's all about substitution. Jesus dying in our place. So all of that, it's, just, it's a beautiful image, a wonderful historical account of salvation, looking and live. If you're saved by God tonight, you're saved because you look to Jesus Christ. You didn't work for it. You can't earn your salvation, but you look to Jesus Christ because God loved the world so much that he gave his son but not the whole world lives. See, it's the love of God doesn't save. It's not the love of God that's saved. It's the, 
his son that came out of love and died with your sin and my sin in his body to deliver us from our sin. So these people here in Numbers 21, they had to look and live. They had to look at their sin, the, the serpent. And all we have to do is look to Jesus to have salvation and to live. Now from these next verses here, we'll go quickly through them, but verse 20, 10 to 20, we have a history now. They're, they're moving. They're moving toward the promised land. The next chapters, we're going to see this. They're still going to complain a little bit, but they're, they're, they're learning. So we, we hear in this section the song, the song of gratefulness. So they're, they're starting to change. They're starting to grow. Now the children of Israel, verse 10, moved on and camped at Oboth. And they journeyed from Oboth and camped at in the wilderness, which was in the east of Moab, toward the sunrise. For there they moved and camped to the valley of Zered. So this, we're talking months here. They're going to one place and to the other. How did they know where to go? How did the children know where to go? They followed what at night? Fire. They followed a cloud in the day. So they're, they get up in the morning and, wow, it's really hot today. Oh, the cloud's over there. So they go to Oboth because that's where the cloud was. And they camp there a while, and then that's, that's what Moses is helping us understand. They're moving now. They keep moving, moving. Verse 14, therefore it said in the book of wars of the Lord, Waba and Sufa, the books of the Arnon. Now, so, some ancient maps that aren't included in the Bible here, that's all this is. Not everything that's said and recorded made it into the canon of Scripture. So this is some book we don't really know about. Verse 15, in the slope of the brook, that reaches to the dwelling of Ar and lies on the border of Moab. So they get all the way to the border of Moab. From there they went to a place called Beer. And Beer is not beer. Beer is a well. Whenever you see Beersheba or Beer, whatever in the Bible, all that is well. There's a well there. Somebody dug a well there. They call it Beer, whatever. Sheba or Beer, whoever. So they get to this place. And uh, verse, uh, let's see, gather the people together and I will give them water. There's, there's a definite mood change. They're moving, but there's no, there's no uh, whining in between these places. They're moving to each place. There's no whining recorded for us. Then verse 17, Israel sang this song. Here it is. Spring up, O well. All of you sing to it. The well, the leaders sank, dug by the nation's nobles, by the lawgiver with their staves. Kind of an interesting song. Not, not one of my top 40 worship tunes, I, but it's, it's interesting. And this is kind of an, a, a real important statement because back in chapter 20, they were at a beer, they were at a well. It was called Meribah back in verse 2 of chapter 20. And when they were there, that's when they were whining and complaining and Moses had death in his family and he was fed up with the people and so he speaks harshly to the people. Remember that last week? That was at this other place. They didn't have any water. And so God says, you tell the people and you speak to the rock. And Moses yelled at the people and he struck the rock twice. That's what happened at the last place. So this, there's a change here. This place, they're waiting we're going to just wait here. Remember what happened last time? They wait at the well. There was no water there. They wait there, and then God provides water from them. So they've learned something. That's the key. And God has refreshed them in the desert. So they sing this song. kind of reminds me of 
John 7, notice this verse behind me. Jesus stood and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. This whole episode of God providing water for the children of Israel, again, it's another picture of the living Christ and how he would provide water. So these people, they're healed now. They might step on a snake or a viper, but they can look up to the sin and, and be healed. They're singing a song. It reminds me of the song I used to sing back in the 80s with the children's ministry. Now it's uh, Joey Renfro. I heard him tonight back there, and I was going, way to go, because I was his age. I was his age once. And he's back there singing, leading the kids in worship, and I used to sing, I got a river of life flowing out of me. Makes the lame to walk. And the, Remember that song? I just remember singing that song, that river of life. What joy that is. And these people are singing now. So they've gone from, from being really bummed out to now they're singing. That's, that's a good thing. And then verse 21, as they make this long circuit, they come to Moab there. Then Israel sent messengers to Sihon, king of the Amorites. So this is another group of Canaanites under the umbrella of Canaanites, the Amorites. Let me pass through your land. We will not turn aside to your fields or vineyards. We will not drink your water from their wells. Uh, we will go by the king's highway until we have passed through your territory. But Sihon would not allow Israel to pass through the territory. So Sihon gathered all his people together and went out against Israel. So he makes a big wall. You're not coming here in the wilderness. And they came to Jahaz and fought against Israel. Then Israel defeated him with the edge of the sword and took possession of his land. Why? Because God had promised. And the people now, notice they don't pray. They just step out in faith. They're learning. They're growing. So Israel took all the cities, verse 25, and Israel dwelt in the cities of the Amorites, in Heshbon and in its villages. For Heshbon was the city of Sihon, king of the Amorites, who had fought against the former king of Moab and had taken all his land from his hand as far as Arnon. So you can see what's going on with these, these circuit kings, these, these kings over their little kingdoms. They battled against each other, took their own territory. But God is building the confidence of his people. That's what we're seeing here as we read this. And the people are excited now. They're stepping out in faith. They're singing a song of worship. And as you look at your if you're looking at your Bible right now, notice how it's all broken up in kind of poetic little stanzas. Notice that? It just shows us there's a, a different mood. There's a, they're lighthearted. There's poetry. They're singing. The people are rejoicing. They're trusting in the Lord. That much more, a little bit more. They're still going to struggle as they go, but they're, they're doing pretty good. Therefore, verse 27, those who speak in Proverbs say, come to Heshbon, let it be built. Let the city of Sion be repaired. For fire went out from Heshbon, a flame from the city of Sion. It consumed Er of Moab, the lords of the heights of Arnon. Woe to you, Moab. You have perished, O people of Chemosh. He has given his sons as fugitives and his daughters into captivity to Sion, king of the Amorites. But we have shot at them. Heshbon has perished as far as Dibon. Uh, then we laid waste as far as Nopah, which reaches to Mediba. 
So these are all cities of the Canaanites there. Verse 31, thus Israel dwelt in the land of the Amorites. Then Moses sent to spy out Jazer, and they took its villages and drove out the Amorites who were there. So they're being successful now. They have the right attitude. They're obeying God. They're moving in the direction he wants them to go. Now, these last three verses here about the defeat of Bashan, notice verse 33, and they turned and went up by the way of Bashan. So Og, king of Bashan, went out against them, he and all his people, to battle at Edri. Then the Lord said to Moses, do not fear him, for I have delivered him into your hand with all his people and his land, and you shall do to him as you did to Sihon, king of the Amorites, who dwelt in Heshpan. So, so here's God encouraging them again. Don't worry, you're, you're good. I'm behind you. I'm going to help you. And the, the point of these last couple of verses is at this time, Israel doesn't start the battle. It's King Og that comes out against him. So far, they've come to the border. They've asked permission. They've been fairly polite. We'll just go down the highway. We're not going to go through your fields. We're not going to just touch your city, your people. We're going to stay away. We just want to get a straight shot to Canaan. Nope, can't do it. And the king of Moab, Sion, he's going to pay for this later. You'll, you'll see in, in future, uh, even in the, the book of Kings, we see this same episode in how Moab uh, becomes a real thorn to the people of, of Israel. But they aren't starting the battle. King Og went out against them. That's the point here. And they, they, they defeated him and his sons, verse 35, and all his people until there was no survivor left him. And they took possession of his land. So this new generation is making progress. They're experiencing victory. They're walking by faith. They had to look and live. They're learning as God puts challenges before them. And here's the takeaway for tonight. This whole idea of looking to the Lord to live. We have to look to Jesus, and he's on a cross. They had to look to the serpent to see their sin. Jesus took our sin, and on the cross as a substitute, we have to still look to Jesus for our salvation. It's a beautiful truth. Same truth, Old Testament and New Testament. And closing again, this verse from John 3, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believes may in him have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Father, thank you for the word tonight. What a blessing, God, to see your love working, to see your compassion and grace. And in disobedience, Lord, you always allow more grace. In the disobedience of the people, you gave grace. The nation didn't handle too much. Lord, you, you wouldn't give them too much. You provided a way of salvation. All they had to do was look and live. And so, Father, as we study through the scripture, may we see the comparisons with the New Testament. May we see the pictures of Jesus in the pages of the Old Testament. And Lord, if there's anyone here listening, anyone here among us tonight that have never trusted Christ, may they look to Jesus Christ and live. Jesus, you're the answer. 
You're the God of heaven who came and lived a sinless life and voluntarily went to the cross to take my sin, to take our sin, the sins of the world. And there you died. And all one has to do even today is to look and to live, to exercise faith, not to do works, but to look and live, to receive that free gift of eternal life. Father, do a work that only you can do. Encourage hearts tonight. Cause believers tonight to rejoice in this wonderful truth, to look and to live by faith. And help us, Lord, if we're impatient. We need to endure. In some area of our life, you're trying to teach us. You've allowed a trial in our life to produce endurance or patience, and, and we've rejected it. Lord, I pray tonight that we would understand that you only bring good things into our life to teach and to train, and that you know all things. You're sovereign, and that you have a plan. May we fit into your plan. May we, may we Lord, sit and ride along in the plan that you provide, and we'll look to you, Lord, to live. In Jesus, we pray tonight. Amen. Let's stand together.